Some of you, uh, perhaps on Facebook and others, know of the Babylon Bee. Who knows the Babylon Bee? You know what that is? Okay. Some of you in the, in the other world, anybody know the onion? The onion, well, the Babylon Bee is the Christian onion, okay? It's a satire, kind of a funny way of poking fun at ourselves. They're just, some of them are absolutely hilarious. I read one of the, some, the titles alone are hilarious. One was, um, Man Confused on Whether He's Being Persecuted Because He's a Christian or a Massive Jerk. So, you know, things like that. So, um, <laughs> But this one caught my eye. It was actually from a fellow coffee lover, and she had posted on her Facebook page, Local Believer Shows No Evidence of Salvation Before Morning Coffee. And I want to read it to you. Byline, Irvine, California. According to sources close to a local man, Alan Carter, the believer in Christ exhibits absolutely no evidence of being saved from the time he wakes up each morning until the moment he has his morning cup of coffee at his local coffee shop. Observers claim the committed Christian is totally unrecognizable as a follower of Jesus throughout his morning routine and commute down the 405 freeway, right up until he begins sipping his favorite coffee beverage at the Starbucks near his work. One quoted, he's angry, bitter, impatient, unkind. He displays absolutely no fruit of the spirit until he gets some caffeine in his system, a co-worker told reporters. He's like a completely different person. Thursday morning, a witness claimed that Carter came in the office and immediately snapped at a co-worker, demanding that she put the finishing touches on a project they had been working on together. Within the hour, he stormed out of the building to the Starbucks across the street to take a short coffee break. But Carter reportedly returned to the building 50 minutes later, an entirely new man, thanks to the cup of coffee in his hand. Stacy, nice to see you this morning. Did you do something new with your hair? I've been praying for your son's SAT exams. I know how he's going to do great, Carter said to the woman he had berated earlier. Hey, Bill, are we still on for Bible study at lunch? I'm really looking forward to it, he then said to a friend passing by in the hall, according to sources. The believer reportedly continued to exhibit a supernatural amount of grace and love for his fellow man throughout the day, after partaking of his morning cup of coffee, all the way up until he woke up the next morning and repeated the cycle again. (laughs) Silly. But it does speak to that issue of what is the evidence of Christ working in our lives, right? Oh, it's back. It's healed. Um, What is the evidence of Christ working in our lives? What is the evidence of love? Jesus said to his disciples, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And today we look at how Jesus then calls us to a a higher love when he says this phrase, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemy and pray for them. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us have heard that before, love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard it a lot because it's in a lot of places in Scripture. Jesus quotes it at least three different times in three Gospels. The Apostle Paul quotes it at least twice in his letters, and the Apostle James quotes it in his letter as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know where that comes from, though? It's originally quoted in the Old Testament of all places in that book of Leviticus. We talked about Leviticus last fall. And this is one of those little surprises that pops out in Leviticus. And so uh, we have heard parts of the epistle reading. We read the psalm reading as our call to worship. Brooke read for us the gospel. Now I want to read for you the Old Testament lesson from Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. A whole lot of do-nots there, right? But did you notice how all of them had to do with a care for the people in your life? The do-nots were were not just about a personal purity thing. They were about relationships and how to get along with people. And then all of a sudden it sneaks in this verse that we hear over and over and over again in the New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not by itself, but it comes at the end of these commands that are how we are to do neighbor love. How we treat people, all people, with the love of God. And as we circle back then to that gospel reading that we heard from Matthew, uh, we, we hear the same from Jesus. Here's how to love in a higher way. Neighbor love is a, a higher kind of love. Love like this, says Jesus. Love without revenge. Love without this eye for an eye thing or trying to get back at somebody. Even love enemies. Jesus is saying love with a higher love. Let the love of Jesus guide how we respond to others rather than their behavior determining how we will act. Did you catch that? We'll hit it a few more times. Let Jesus guide how we respond to others rather than letting their behavior, opinions, or attitude shape how we respond rather than respond with the love of Christ. So here's what we want to look at. That when we come in faith to Jesus, he works to change our thinking and our behaving. He works to change our thinking and behaving so that we can may obey, obey his higher law of love. As disciples, I like to say this, that we are called to take the high road of neighbor love, the high road of neighbor love. There's two points this morning. Well, first of all, look at the disciples' freedom, this freedom to respond out of Christ's work in our lives rather than reacting to another, but also the disciples' compassion as we speak of neighbor love. But first, the disciples' freedom. Last week, we noticed this formula in, the, in, in chapter 5 of Matthew that says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And what Jesus is doing here is he's sort of reinterpreting the law. He's, he's uh, as something that's making a, deep, a difference deep inside of us rather than just sort of a, a keeping a law on the outside. Rather than external compliance, it's something that Christ is working within us. And so we said last week there's six of these, uh, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Last week, we did four of them. We did um, hate, um, well, murder, adultery, uh, divorce, and taking of oaths. And this week we get these next two here uh, of neighbor love and um, not taking revenge. In verses 38 through 42, we see this neighbor love as, as a rising above uh, retaliation. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now this is an ancient law. This is even in, in legal codes beyond uh, uh, Israel, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's part of ancient law. Um, and it actually does show up in the Old Testament. This idea of the punishment fitting the crime. And actually, the, the, the Old Testament prescription here is actually a moderation of this thing because in, in a lot of cultures, in a lot of ancient cultures, and even anthropologists discovered it in primitive cultures in existence today, this deep system of, of vengeance becomes a way of life in certain cultures, and particularly in the ancient world. 
A system of vengeance became a way of life that could uh, not, was, not only was tit for tat, but it could escalate up several levels and it could last for years. And it could be uh, endemic to a, a culture. We kid about the Hatfields and McCoys in, uh, in the history of our country, or at least legend in our country. And yet that's what happens. It's back and forth and feuding. It's an escalation. And so actually the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth rule of God was actually to put a limit on it by God. This, this, a punishment that fits a crime and then it's done and move on. But now Jesus brings it to an even higher level. And Jesus takes it to a higher expression of God's will and God's love by rejecting any kind of vengeance and rather... And rather choosing a way of love instead. And actually, it can be kind of a freeing thing. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. I tell you, turn the other cheek. I tell you, if they ask for your shirt, give them your coat as well, in the legal court as a way to pay. I say, if they ask you for two miles, one mile, give them two. I say, if they ask you for something, to give it. And why would this be freedom? It sounds like you're just sort of rolling over and, and being taken advantage of. But it's this freedom to not have to respond and let their response determine your behavior. It reminds me of a story that came to me this week. I remember hearing it at a retreat when I was in high school. And that was a really, really long time ago. I'm pretty sure it was a young life retreat at a camp in California. And I can remember the speaker talking about this, telling a story of a man walking into a candy shop. And he walked in and was very cheery and great. Good morning, how are you doing today? And the man behind the counter did not respond at all and just stared at him with no, no expression. Hey, I would really like to order, you know, 10 sticks of peppermint candy and about three of, of root bear candy. So the guy goes over, he goes over, he pulls them out, sits them down, doesn't say anything. I can't remember all the details of the story, but he's giving this elaborate order and he's being extremely friendly. Thank you so much. I love your candy shop. I love coming in here every day. And how are you doing anyway? No response whatsoever. Well, a friend was with him as he was at the counter, and as they walked out of the store and enjoyed the candy, the friend said, how could, you let the, how could you be so friendly when that guy was so unfriendly and would not interact with, with you at all? And he said, I'm not going to let his behavior determine my behavior. And that has stuck with me all these years, and I thought of it as I was looking at this passage, and it was a new perspective in this passage I hadn't before, hadn't had before. I won't let his behavior affect my behavior. And that's a freedom in a sense. It's a freedom from having our behavior determined by the way that we are treated. The disciple is called to live a higher way of love. Not with a tit for tat, a pushback. They were mean to me, I'm mean to them. They ignored me, I'll ignore them. We can live a higher way. Instead of retaliation, there can be love and humility. And in a sense, when you take it to its farthest extreme, it really does point to the sacrificial love of Jesus himself. Where on the cross, he expressed his deepest love to his furthest, farthest away enemies and brought forgiveness for all, regardless of how they had treated him. I want to just make kind of a side note here that like so much of scripture can be misinterpreted and misapplied. And particularly this part that says if you are slapped on the one cheek, turn the other cheek. The term slap here is more of an insult rather than it is an act of violence, by the way. It's more of an insult and just to, 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 to deflect that insult. And sometimes this is taken out of context to say that when you've been abused or, or hurt uh, to continue to take it. And we need to stand up to that misinterpretation of scripture. The freedom here is to say, I'm not going to let your insult affect me. We're freed. We're freed for positive action. We're freed for making a kingdom difference. It's love for enemies instead of a wishing for their destruction. It's an unconditional forgiveness rather than a retaliation. It's a readiness to suffer instead of using force. 
In June of 2015, 21-year-old Dylan Roof walked into the historic AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina and killed nine African-American people at a Bible study after they had graciously welcomed him into their circle. You remember hearing about it. It was a horrible and a brutal killing. But what was amazing was the forgiveness that came from the family members of the slain. The Washington Report... Post reported and said, one by one, and this is at a hearing, one by one, those who chose to speak at a bond hearing did not turn to anger. Instead, while he remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness and said they were praying for his soul, even as they described the pain of their losses. See? Horrible behavior. It took away a loved one, and yet they did not let them determine how they would love with the love of Jesus. It's a freedom to love, even in a deeply painful situation like that. It's a freedom to forgive. It's a freedom to move towards healing and reconciliation. Now, that's going to make a difference in a world, isn't it? We talk about making a kingdom difference here, and it's the good things we do for people, and those are wonderful. I love this new delivery program with flows and fishes. But we make a kingdom difference this way too, don't we? When we take a higher road of love and express that kind of freedom, Freedom is not just a freedom to do whatever I want, is it? But it's a freedom to live God's way. Let's move for the disciples' compassion. The second part here in the gospel reading this morning, the disciples' compassion. The formula one time says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And what it comes about here is you have heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What we have here is neighbor love even when they are enemies. First of all, we have to define neighbor. Neighbor is not those people who live a few homes away from you. A neighbor really in the biblical context is those who is really just about anyone with whom we come in contact, whether we like them or not or they live in our neighborhood or not. A neighbor is just about anyone we come in contact with. Secondly, this hate your, neighbor, hate your enemies part is actually not in Scripture. You cannot find those words anywhere in the Old Testament. But through the interpretation of some of the stricter sects of the Pharisees, they had believed that that was what is implied of love your neighbor must have implied a hate for enemies. And actually, at the time of Jesus, it was pretty much an accepted part of the Jewish ethic at that time. And Jesus clearly says, no, no hate, no room for hate in my kingdom. So he says, you've heard that said. And then he says, love your enemies. Not only no hate, but you've got to love your enemies. Now that is not a natural course of action for people. (laughs) That is only something that can come with a a change of heart that Christ brings. It comes with what we call an, an enabling grace, if you will. It comes with an agape love which, as you remember, may remember, there's three kinds of love. There's eros, which is more the physical kind of love, passion. There's phileo, which is a brotherly love, kind of a friendship love. Agape is that love that puts another first. It's an other-centered love that isn't always an emotional, gooey thing. It's sometimes an act of the will. I love you. I'm going to do this. That's the kind of change that Christ brings. I was meeting with somebody this week for breakfast, and we were talking. They were, they were really exploring, kind of reconnecting with their childhood faith. It was an exciting time, really, to talk about trusting Christ in a fresh new way as an adult. And um, we, talked about, I, we talked about what sin is, and that sin really is just pursuing our own direction. We pursue our own way to live. And it seems right, and it can be, sometimes it can actually be a whole lot more fun 
can it for a time, but its ultimate end is an empty and a destructive end. And so to, to, to commit our life to Christ means turning and adjusting our will, to transform, to repent means to make a turn and to choose to live our life Christ's way. And Christ begins to make these kind of changes in us. Jesus teaches here that the model for this kind of love is direct from the Father himself. He says, do this just like the Father. This higher love, this deeper compassion. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may may be children of your Father in heaven. Act like it. (laughs) Act like your Father. He causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get are not even the tax collectors, who they all hated, doing that. See, this sun and, sun and rain thing is, is God loving and treating all people with his gracious providence and provision, no matter who they are and how they react to him. There is sun and rain for all. We're getting sun right now. So are all the awful people. California is getting drenched with rain, the good and the bad, right? My sister and brother-in-law live in Northern California. They have a rain gauge on their deck. They've had 31 inches since last July. That's the average is not... Well, anyway, I'm not going to talk about rain. And, and my sister and brother-in-law are good people. But anyway, um, the sun and the rain on all. God loves all. And so why don't we be like that? Instead of just loving those who are easy to love, sure, we love our families. Sometimes they annoy us, but we love them, right? But God is calling us to a higher love that stretches beyond that to love those who are difficult, not just the lovable and close, but to love the enemy. Or maybe more real in our own situations, maybe there's nobody that's an enemy, but to love those who are annoying. To love those who constantly disappoint us. To love the one with whom we disagree. To love the one that just gets under our skin. To love the one that we've tried to make reconciliation with, but all they can come back with is a pushback and anger. That's what it really is. It takes a change of heart. Jesus teaches a great way to change hearts here too, he says. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemy and what? And pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. This drives us to prayer. When we take these kind of situations, those annoyers, those disappointers, those non-reconcilers, those disappointers, those disagreeables, when we take them to prayer constantly, it softens our hearts, doesn't it? And it begins to change our perspective where we're able to finally get this, get this at least give somebody the benefit of the doubt, even if they're still annoying. God might give us perspective and say, well, that's why they're being so annoying. It isn't just because they're not like me. (laughs) And God gives us that sensitivity where we actually can press in and make a difference in some of these kinds of things. This is a call to us and how we live out in the world and it's especially a call to us how we live here. As Kayla said earlier, we are together and the Spirit is present and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit together. And so this call, hopefully there are certainly no enemies in the room, but maybe when I listed annoyers, disappointers, and others, we kind of went, or disagreeers, maybe they are. But when we pray for each other, and we let those things soften our hearts and, and give each other the benefit of the doubt, we come through stronger, don't we? 
doesn't mean we all agree, but it means that we are coming at it from the perspective of Christ who calls us to this higher place, this higher way of love. And as we do it well here, we will do it even better out there, won't we? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies and pray for them so that you will be like your Father in heaven who sends the sun and rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil. And that we might express the love of Christ to all. When we come in faith to Jesus, he works to change our thinking and our behaving. I didn't say hearts there intentionally. Of course it's a heart change. But that leads to a different way of thinking and a different way of behaving so that we may obey his higher law of love. We're called to take this higher road of neighbor love. And that becomes evidence of Christ in our life, even before coffee in the morning. A few questions as we wrap it up. What does neighbor love mean to you? I want to encourage each of us to have our own perspective on that. We hear that. You've heard it all your life, a lot of you. Maybe some of you for the first time, but I'm guessing most of you have heard that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you don't like yourselves very much, and so you're going, then you get really confused, right? But that's not what it means. <laughs> what does neighbor love mean to you? And then the second one, where is Jesus working to change your thinking and behaving and moving you to take a higher road? Was there something that was sort of set for you or, or that you heard today as I shared some of these things? And then this whole thing of loving our enemies and then praying for those who is God calling you to pray for. We're just going to take a moment of silence for you to reflect on those and to pray for that person, those people, as we bring it to a close. Lord, hear us as we pray in our silence and as we reflect before you now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are always calling us to a higher road and a higher place. Lord, I just confess those places where neighbor love for me gets shrunk down to be too small of a definition. I confess that and ask you to come in and change not only my heart, but how I actually think about other people and how I behave in my relationships and my words. I want to be on that higher road with you, Jesus. And I pray for my sisters and brothers in this room with whom I am united in spirit that together we would strive for that as well. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us as we figure this thing out. Thank you for your deep, unfailing, unconditional love for us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.